Our sermon reading is from Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Behold, <laughs> Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time and this beautiful new building. I thank you for each and every person who's sitting here uh, waiting on your word. I pray that you would be with Alan as he reviews this well-known text to many of our hearts, that you would use your word to pierce our hearts, that you would uh, enable us to hear the words that we need to hear, that we would be built up in you, and that you would bless the rest of our time with worship this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are um, continuing our sermon on the study of the Mount, and for those of you who have not been here, we've been working through these um, Beatitudes one at a time, so we must be in our 10th week because we're on the 10th um, Beatitude. Uh, but this is really one of the most um, familiar passages of Scripture in the Bible. Most people um, have heard particularly of the Beatitudes within the Sermon on the Mount, and because of that, I think it's sometimes a bit easy to misunderstand what Jesus is talking about. Because it's written in such um, beautiful poetic language. And, and it can just sound so soothing and so sweet. And it just resonates with our hearts. And I think as a result, what it often sounds to our ears like Jesus is saying here is, guys, here's the kind of, here's a model for the kinds of lives that I want you to be living. Here's the goal that I want you to shoot for. I want you guys to be more meek. I want you to be more merciful, and on and on through this list. But as we've been saying each week, that is not Jesus' point here at all. Because listen, if, if Jesus could give you a list of things to do that would make you a better Christian, or make you more uh, acceptable to God, then Jesus would never have needed to go to the cross. All we would have needed was his life as a, an example of what we're all trying to pull off ourselves. But as you and I all know too well, as great as an example as Jesus is, it's not enough. We, we simply can't follow him. None of us are good enough. And so Jesus had to go to the cross. Because we need more than an example to be rescued. We need a Savior. We need a Savior who lived the life that we should have lived in our place. And then who died the death that we deserve to die as our substitute. And therefore, I think what Jesus is telling us here is not what we are to become. Rather, it's a description of those who are already citizens of his kingdom. 
And he says, this is how you can tell who they are. This is how they act. In other words, you've you got to remember, here's Jesus, and, and he's speaking into a culture in his day, to be honest, very much like our own, where all of the focus religiously was on outward behavior, right? And here's all the good things you're supposed to do. Here's all the bad things that you're supposed to avoid. And if you can do that list, then God will find you more acceptable. See, it was a kingdom of religion. It was a kingdom of outside-in change through coercing the heart, much like we still do today. You know, pastors are good at using guilt and shame and, and sermons designed to motivate better behavior to try to change people. But you see, into that context, Jesus comes along with this sermon and he says, guys, you've got it all wrong. My kingdom is a kingdom of the heart. And it's an inside-out heart transformation that certainly leads to better behavior, but his focus is on getting a new heart. Not a living better. And see, these Beatitudes, therefore, are Jesus' description of what citizens of his kingdom are like. And, and he's saying, you know, because they have this new heart, they understand, work through the list, blessed are the poor in spirit. They, they understand they have a poverty of spirit. Which means they realize, I got nothing that I can bring to the table to offer God. All I have is need. And as a result... Those people will mourn over their sin, rather than what we normally do, which is, you know, making excuses for it, trying to justify it, uh, or trying to compare it with how much better it is, and at least not as bad as those people are. But you see, Jesus here is saying that if you understand that the only thing that you can bring to the table before God is your own personal need, then you will mourn over your sin, which creates people who are meek. Because, listen, it's really hard to be impatient with other people. It's hard to be harsh and, and judgmental and condescending when you see that everything that you have comes because of grace. Not because you're any better. Not because you're any smarter or any wiser. And then as a result, citizens of Jesus' kingdom have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, the old heart that we're all born with is consumed by a hunger and a thirst to prove ourselves. To justify ourselves. See, we're all looking for something to validate us. We look to our careers. We look to our, our families. We look to our success. We look to our beauty until you get too old to keep up with that. Yet we all look for something to be able to say, I'm okay as a person. Look who I am. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. But you see, Jesus says that citizens of my kingdom realize they've already been justified by me. And therefore, they don't hunger for approval anymore. They don't hunger for power and success anymore. They hunger for me. They hunger for righteousness. Which then leads to people who are merciful toward others. Again, like its sister, meekness, when you come to see that everything that you have, everything good in you, everything good that you produce, it's all of grace, then Jesus says you'll have a deep compassion on all the messed up people around you. And you'll actually understand why they're being selfish. You'll understand why they're being a jerk. You'll understand why they're engaging in sinful behavior and a lifestyle. It's because they're desperately looking for validation. And you get it. You, you understand that. I've been there. In fact, I still often fall back there myself. And so you're merciful toward them. And on and on it goes through this list. See, Jesus is describing his citizens, not showing us how to become ones. And he's saying, if you have a new heart... This is what you're going to act like. 
These are the new kingdom values that will flow from that new heart. Which brings us today to his conclusion, the last of these. Blessed, or the same word as happy, happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And you see, this is Jesus' conclusion to all of these uh, new heart changes. He says that when citizens of my kingdom reflect my values from the heart, the world isn't going to like it. And in fact, they will be persecuted for it. And, and you know, I think to a degree we all know this already. I mean, try standing up against any crowd, and people are going to come after you. You know, just, just try being that kid on the playground who comes to the, to the defense of the kid who's getting picked on by the bully. Or try being the college student who raises their hand and says, um, teacher, your progressive ideas are wacko, right? Uh, you're not going to be the champion of those conversations. In fact, you're going to be attacked. You're going to be silenced. You're going to be erased. Or the bully will just beat the crap out of you. And, and, and Jesus says in much the same way, when you display the new kingdom values that I've placed within your heart, people are going to come after you. And ironically, Jesus says it's the peacemakers who will be persecuted. It's not the bully, it's not the powerful, but it's the meek. See, we, we all love a rebel, we all love a champion who's going to lead our side to victory. Um, let me just risk offending a lot of people. That's how a guy like Trump can get elected. Because here's a guy who's going to fight for our side. Because deep down, that's what we all really want. We want to win. We want to destroy our enemies. We want them erased and groveling in the dust. And we're really not interested in being peacemakers at all. We like winning. And see, if you're persecuted for being a right-wing extremist, I mean, that's certainly your choice. You can do that. Or a left-wing liberal, that's your choice. But it's not the kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about here. Because listen, if you find yourself caught up in, in, in one political side or the other, on all of these issues, you may just need to do some self-examination. Because I want you to listen to this, to the most holy, most righteous religious leaders of his day, to the best of the best of the best, Jesus says, guys, all of your righteous acts, as great as they are, I mean, they were going through the kitchen and pulling out a tenth of all of their spices to make sure they were obedient down to the center of the law. Jesus says, it's worthless. They, they gain you absolutely nothing. All you're doing is cleaning the outside of the cup and making it look shiny to the watching world, but inside it's got fuzzy mold growing. <coughs> it's full of dead bones. And so on the one hand, it kind of sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, you don't have to do all that stuff now. It's all about grace. It's all about forgiveness. And yet on the other hand, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of these religious leaders, you're not citizens of my kingdom. And so you kind of scratch your head and say, all right, Jesus, which is it? Is, is it all about grace and forgiveness, or is it all about being more obedient to the law? And so I think Jesus just confounds everybody here by saying, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So I want, I want to walk through, how does this work? What does this mean? And I want you to notice, first of all, Jesus does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted for being a jerk, right? That's not what he's talking about. See, this is not persecution for being a conservative in a liberal world. This isn't the kind of persecution that comes from being um, a self-righteous, judgmental person toward all of those kind of people. You know who they are, right? And in fact, it's not even talking about persecution for being obnoxious about Jesus to everybody that we meet. 
And listen, let me just say this here. There, there's all sorts of people out there who are committing uh, sins that can really drive us crazy. And some of them can be downright offensive to you. But you've got to be careful because I think far too many of us do not actually see those as offenses against Jesus. But it's really more a personal offense against me and my cause. And so it's not really a righteous anger, it's a self-righteous anger. I mean, we think it's a righteous anger, but it's usually not. See, Jesus is not telling us here that it's, it's good to be persecuted for being overzealous and fanatical about the truth. Uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But if you suffer, it should be, not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Oh, that, 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 there's all of us. We're all meddlers. And, and so let, let me just, I don't think I've offended everybody yet. Let me further risk offending the rest of you. Because I think what both Peter and Jesus are talking about here is to make sure that when you are persecuted, it's for the name of Jesus and not for some cause that's done in the name of Jesus. You know, just as an example, and, and I'm not saying this to condemn, just to give you an example. There, there were a number of pastors who were um, thrown into prison uh, during COVID, particularly in Canada, for defying uh, the bans on meeting in public, and they just did it anyway. And, and there's nothing wrong with, with what they did. I think we all should have causes that we are willing to risk everything for. And, and the overreach of the state is probably one of them. But, but you need to be very careful that you don't categorize as suffering for Jesus, what's really suffering for a cause. Because there's a difference. Because listen, I know how easy it is in cases like that to say, well, because the Bible says that we're supposed to meet regularly, and the state is telling me that I can't, my defiance is done in the name of Jesus. But maybe, just maybe, it's really more of a stand against the overreach of the state and a protection of personal freedoms. Which is good, and people should do that. But is that really suffering? Is that really being persecuted for righteousness? Because listen, what I'm trying to push on you for a moment here is that it's far too easy in the volatile political climate of our day for Christians, just like everybody else, to be actively looking for ways to be offended so they can rail against the injustice of all the liberal causes out there. In fact, let me just give you some perspective from a conservative evangelical pastor in England right at the end of World War II. And he's speaking from London, where, you know, it was bombed out city, rubble all around him. And he said this, he said, now it is a simple truth to say that there were Christian people in Nazi Germany who were not only ready to practice and live the Christian faith, but who preached it in the open air and yet were not molested. But we know of certain others who were put into prisons and concentration camps, and we should be careful to see why this happened to them. And I think if you draw that distinction, you will find it was generally something political. I need not point out I am not attempting to excuse Hitlerism, but I am trying to remind every Christian person of this vital distinction. If you and I begin to mix our religion and politics, then we must not be surprised if we receive persecution. But I suggest that it will not necessarily, not of necessity, be persecution for righteousness' sake. This is something very distinct and particular. And one of the greatest dangers confronting us is that of not discriminating between these two things. There are Christian people in China at the present time to whom this is the most accurate problem of all. Sorry, the chief problem of all. Are they standing for righteousness' sake or for a cause? 
After all, they have their political views and ideas. They are citizens of that particular country. He says, I'm not saying that a man should not stand for his political principles. I'm simply reminding you that the promise attached to this beatitude does not apply to that. If you choose to suffer politically, go on and do so. But do not have a grudge against God if you find that this beatitude, this promise, is not verified in your life. May God give us grace and wisdom to understand, and understanding to discriminate between our political prejudices and our spiritual principles. Now, the, the reason I'm pressing all of this on you here today is because it is becoming increasingly easier with, with each passing year to identify Orthodox Christianity with a certain political cause or some kind of social or, or political activism as if conversion is converting to conservatism. When Jesus tells us that we should just as, be just as concerned about our non-binary, gender-fluid neighbor as we are about our nice, conservative, moral neighbor who doesn't know Jesus yet. Because remember, we are not called upon here to be persecuted for being good. We're not called to be persecuted for being noble or self-sacrificing or for being moral and conservative. Rather, Jesus is saying that citizens of his kingdom who have this new heart we've been talking about will be persecuted because of righteousness. Okay, so that's what it's not. What is it? What, what does it mean uh, to be righteous in the sense that he's talking about here? And, and I think it essentially means just being like Jesus. It means being persecuted for being like Jesus. It's, Jesus himself said in John 15, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Or as the Apostle Paul put it in 2 Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so right away, I think we're confronted here with a rather intimidating test. Because what he's asking us to consider is, are you being persecuted at all? Because listen, what both Paul and and, and, and Jesus are telling us here is that if you are citizens of his kingdom, you will be persecuted. It is inevitable. There are no exceptions. And if you find yourself an exception, there's something going on there. And as we've already said, you, you, you can't simply say, well, yeah, of course I'm being persecuted. And then look at certain social or political causes that are trending against you. No, it's being persecuted for being like Jesus, not for being conservative. And, and listen, let me just be totally honest here. I think there's three or four I haven't offended yet. Modern, modern Christianity in Bristol has found all sorts of ways of looking Christian. I don't want to talk to you. Sorry. Uh, of acting Christian, of talking Christian. It still has no trouble being acceptable with the uh, general southern culture that we live in. Because I think what we've done in Appalachia is we've perfected the art of learning how to not rock the boat, to be moderate, to fit in wherever we can. And I think what we've done is we've exchanged being obedient for being nice because we don't want to be persecuted. And of course we justify it by calling it good Southern manners, which it is, but it's really just cowardice. In fact, what I think we actually do, and I can say that I know we do from my own personal experience, is that we fool ourselves into thinking, hey, I'm just being like Jesus here. And so we put on his character traits, but we often apply them in all the wrong ways at all the wrong times. And so, for example, when you're around friends who are, uh, let's say they're frustrated about the progressive agenda of the left and all the ways they're encroaching on our values and they're taking over our schools, it, it's very easy to jump 
on the condescending attitudes and look down on them and bash those who are pushing that agenda. When what they need at the moment is mercy, right? They need Christians who understand why they're acting that way. And we know they're acting that way because they're desperately looking for something to validate them. They need something to feel special about. They need to feel loved. They want to feel accepted. And they haven't found it in the Savior yet. They're, they're looking for their salvation and being woke enough. Or being free enough to pursue their own dreams and passions. And they need us to graciously point them to Jesus. And then there's other times, maybe at work, when uh, the, the more tolerant perspectives of these various alternative lifestyles are what's being pushed upon you is a more gracious, accepting attitude. And people say, you know, as a Christian, you should be more like Jesus and just be accepting of people. You should be forgiving of people. You shouldn't be so harsh. And that's a time when we need to speak up because we're too afraid. In other words, what I'm trying to say is it's easy for us to be tolerant when we should take a stand. And, it, and to take a stand when we should be tolerant and when we should be gracious. And I think we fool ourselves into thinking that, hey, I'm just being merciful like Jesus. Or I'm just speaking the truth like Jesus. But we pick and choose which ones to express so that it minimizes any pushback. And so we don't experience any persecution. It's what Jesus calls the broad path to destruction. But see, a follower of Jesus is someone who, like Jesus, can love and accept the most messed up person out there, while at the same time saying, listen, I get why you're looking for acceptance that way. I, I do the very same things in, in my own ways. But you're not going to find it out there. It only comes from Jesus. And let me show you how to find it. Which means, and I know this is hard to hear, to live like Jesus, what it actually means is you're going to be persecuted from all sides. Your merciful treatment towards screwed up people will get conservatives and religious people labeling you as a liberal who's abandoned the truth. Right? And your truth telling will make liberal people brand you as a hateful bigot. And so in essence, if you act like Jesus, you're going to offend everybody. I mean, just try telling a good religious person that they're not acting like Jesus with their harsh, condescending attitudes. Or try telling your liberal friends that the personal freedoms they're pursuing are wrong, empty, it's a dead end. And you'll get both sides hating you rather quickly. But, but, I, but I want you to notice in particular here for a moment how most of the persecution that those who are like Jesus will experience actually comes from the Christian community. It comes from within the walls of the church, not from the outside. And again, this is critical because I think all too often we think we're being persecuted when we're simply being political. And I think that certainly was the case with Jesus. His primary opposition came from the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Not from the politics of the Romans. That certainly was the case with the early church, right? Being persecuted by the Jews. It was the case during the Middle Ages when the Reformers and Evangelicals were being persecuted by the Catholic Church. Because they were trying to reform all of their abuses of selling salvation for a little bit of money. And you see, the Bible tells us that the path to genuine Christianity is narrow and few are going to find it. And I think the trend of so many in the church today is wanting to make that path as wide and broad and easy as possible. So that we don't offend anybody. But Jesus says, that's not my way. Now, I want you to think for, with me for a moment why that's the case. Why is it that the righteous are persecuted? See, we typically don't persecute the good person. We typically don't per persecute the noble person. 
you know, the kind of person who sacrifices for others. Because I think when we see people like that out there, it, it brings out the best in us. Because they're picturing the kind of good person that we all aspire to be and still hope maybe to become. See, deep down, we believe that if, I, if we just put our minds to it, and if we just try hard enough, I can become like that. I can sacrifice that way. I can be a noble person. But the righteous are persecuted because they're different. Listen, you see, absolute righteousness eliminates all the safe loopholes that we've grown accustomed to. Absolute righteousness makes us feel guilty and dirty when we're used to comfortably being able to cover them up with all sorts of good excuses. Absolute righteousness demands out of us something that none of us can ever do or become. Absolute righteousness shakes the com comfy status quo that we've gotten used to. And when you do that, it intimidates people. You know, so many people today say, you know, I, I hate the church, I hate organized religion, they're all just a bunch of hypocrites, but I do love Jesus. And I love his teaching, and I love all the ideals that he stood for. <laughs> and though the church certainly isn't perfect, and it does have an awful lot to answer for, I think most of the time when people talk that way, um, it's like this thing I saw in the Babylon Bee this week. It's because they actually haven't taken the time to see what Jesus actually says. I mean, the good people of his day certainly heard what Jesus had to say. And they threw stones at him. Right? They, they, they hated him and rescued a murderer so they could condemn him to death. Because, you see, a Christian isn't merely a nice person who stays out of trouble and keeps her nose clean. But a Christian is like Jesus. And therefore, will always be persecuted. In fact, Jesus even says in Luke 6, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how our ancestors treated the false prophets. And see, if, if your version of Christianity is always nice, and always acceptable, and never offends anybody, especially the good religious people, it's probably not Christianity. It's just good traditional Southern values. Because... Becoming a Christian is not learning to be nice. It's not stop drinking and stop sleeping around. It not, has nothing to do with becoming less outwardly sinful. But it takes a new heart. It takes a death to the old man living inside us. And a new nature that now hates the loves of the old nature. It hates the pride. It hates the self-promotion. It hates those lusts more than it hates getting looking bad before others. You see, becoming like Jesus, as he put it, is to become light. And light always exposes darkness. And not by being an obnoxious spotlight in everybody's face, but simply by existing on a hill, as Jesus says. Simply by living according to the new values of the new kingdom of the heart. Darkness always hates the light. Listen, we are never called to do things that call for persecution. We're not supposed to seek persecution we're not supposed to cause it by being caustic and judgmental toward other people. Our life and our speech should never provoke persecution. Rather, we're simply called to live like Jesus, to act like our brother, Jesus. I mean, listen, do you realize how many times Jesus was attacked and condemned and abandoned because he just wouldn't go along with the crowd who wanted to use him for their own agenda? You know, Jesus, feed us so we won't get hungry. Jesus, heal us so we can stop suffering. Jesus, overthrow the yoke of these Romans so we can be free again. And Jesus continually said, no, no. I mean, Jesus could have saved himself from a certain cruel death. 
He could have become popular and gained a huge following. Frankly, I think he probably could have gained a bigger following, if the truth be known. That was the whole point of the temptations that he endured at the hands of Satan. You know, basically Satan was saying, Jesus, you can get the crowds to follow you right now, today. Just show off your power. Fix their problems. Feed them bread. Heal their diseases. You can get the crowds without having to go to the cross. And Jesus constantly said, no, I'm, I'm not looking for crowds. I'm here to do my Father's will. Mm -hmm. Which was to live the life of perfection that you and I owe to God in our place. Because we certainly could never pull it off. And then to die the death that our rebellion against him deserved. And for Jesus, gaining your freedom was more valuable than gaining the praise of the crowds. And because he bought your freedom, it frees you up from trying to earn your value in the things that you do. It allows you simply to be obedient, no matter what the cost might be. See, a Christian is somebody who understands that this kind of freedom takes away the pressures of the crowd. I mean, who cares what they think about me when the King of Kings loves me? It takes away the pressures of needing to be successful in life. Because whether you succeed or fail, you're already right with the judge of all the others. You're never going to be rejected. It takes away the pains of failure and rejection. Because in Jesus, I've got everything that I need. I'm already loved. I'm already valued. I'm already beautiful in his eyes. So what failure could ever diminish that? Right? And, and that's a life that all the success in the world and all the power in the world and all the beauty in the world and all the money in the world could never buy. Listen to what James says. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I think that echoes the exact same thing that Jesus tells us here in verse 12. He says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Because... You see, in the end, this is really what it comes down to. You have the choice to run from persecution, to play the middle with everybody so that you don't offend anybody. And what that means if you do that is you're really living for yourself. You're really living for your own comfort. You're really living to avoid pain. And you can do that. You're free to do that. But your niceness will not save you. Nor will your niceness save anybody around you. Plenty of nice people are going to end up in hell. Or you can choose to listen to the call in a new heart that tells you that everything that you're already looking for, it's already found in Jesus, and that's the only place that it's found. And so you follow the character of this new heart. You find your identity in Jesus. You define your success by what he did for you. You find your happiness in being loved and accepted by the only judge that even matters. So that you can live with obedience no matter what it costs you. Because in the end, this is the irony, it really doesn't cost you a thing. You know, if you follow Jesus, you're not going to miss out on anything. In fact, what both you know, Peter and Jesus are telling us here is we actually gain something. Right? James says it produces perseverance. And perseverance finishes its work, you'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Jesus tells us here, you'll have a great reward. Right? And listen, do you want to know the secret to getting everything? It's all joy. All happiness, nothing ever able to sink you or drag you down. Even the worst persecution and rejection, simply find your security in Jesus. 
so that, so that obedience rather than comfort becomes your passion. And joyfully watch as God turns the inevitable persecution that comes into character, into being like Jesus. And then here is promise that these people, if only these people, will ever truly be happy. These people, if only these people, will actually inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus says. Because these are the only people who can rest in what has been given to them instead of stressing over trying to get something that they'll never reach. And that's why Jesus can conclude this morning by saying this. Be happy when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we confess we, we just don't like persecution. We don't even like people to not like us. Um, we don't like to stick out. We love blending in uh, with any crowd that we're that we're around. And so it's difficult to hear words from you that say that persecution for those who follow you is inevitable. So few of us ever experience it because we've we've mastered being chameleons in our culture. And we know how to look the part and act the part to fit in anywhere. And so the offensiveness that you say is inevitable and must be in every one of us, it rarely is there. Lord, I pray that you would help for us not to seek to be offensive, but not to shy away from it either, because our goal isn't to be offensive or to be a chameleon, it's to be like Jesus. And we allow that to carry us wherever it does. Lord Jesus, would you please remind us of the love you have for us so that we can rest in that instead of trying to find loves in this world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.